What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark. If you are just joining us for the very first time and you either just got your bees and you're in your first year, or if you are thinking about getting bees and starting them next spring, definitely go back to episode one and follow the podcast all the way forward as it walks you a day and a time, basically a day and a step, a step and a time through your entire process from thinking about getting bees all the way up to tucking them in for your first winter. So if you are joining us for the first time, welcome, howdy, hello, and definitely go back and check out all that information. It is well worth the adventure. Um, And then Ken, how do we say hello to all of our current listeners out there? Good morning, family. How y'all doing out there? Yeah, howdy, howdy, everybody. So we have a lot of interesting things to go through today, and uh, I've gone through and taken screenshots, so bear with me as I flip back and forth through some of these. Um, We're going to start off, as always, with our thank yous to our newest Patreon members, and this one is very easy to remember what's going on here because Miss Natalie, our beautiful red-headed French co-host while you were in the hospital way back when... Yeah, you were you were out of pocket, and I filled the studio with a bunch of beautiful women with foreign accents. <laughs> Australian and French. Yep, you did. That is that is correct. And so Miss Natalie is uh, with Be Mindful, and she is our newest Patreon member. So thank you, Natalie, for joining and supporting us there. We greatly appreciate that. That is completely awesome and totally unexpected. Um. And then we're going to go through here and we're going to give some updates from around the world. And we are going to start with a message from Adrian. And bear with me because I'm going to do my best to pronounce these words according to your tradition. And uh, hopefully I get them correct. So it starts off, the first sentence is, Kia ora, John and Ken, from Aotearoa. Now, what that translates to, Ken, Kia Ora is the Kiwi version or New Zealand version of hello. It is their standard greeting, but it's an all-encompassing greeting that actually means be healthy or, um, you know, taking all of you into consideration. So that's Kia Ora. And then the Aotearoa is actually the original native word for part of the New Zealand island, which has then eventually been become an all-encompassing term to reflect New Zealand as a whole. So if we translate that into uh, redneck, it is howdy, John and Ken from New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that'll work. So uh, Adrian says that he is sitting here listening to one of the Patreon episodes, A Time to Reflect, and he can definitely assure us that New Zealand is still here and listening. They're not as prolific as the folks on the West Island, so perhaps the Kiwi numbers may have been washed out of our statistics. He lives in the Northland at the top of the North Island. Yes, we're big on exciting place names here. 
Um, <laughs> we're just on the edge of winter. Spring officially starts at the beginning of September. As best I can figure, our seasons are roughly six months out of step with yours, and we don't really get a cold winter. A frost here would be very rare for us, which makes it an easy conversion. I'm not yet a beekeeper, but all going to plan... Oops, I got lost. All going to plan, I'll be able to get my first colonies in October. I got out over the winter to feed and treat some hives, and I felt... I had half a clue about what I was looking at, so a big thank you to the part that the Hive Jive has played in helping me be ready for beekeeping, not to mention the entertainment, and then he puts in quotes, Ken, don't let up on those Aussies. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, you, you got to have a little bit of rivalry between the Kiwis and the Aussies, right? Sound like a winner to me. Right. So, to to be fair... We're going to jump islands, and we're going to go over from Kiwi, mm-hmm. and we're going to come over to Aussie land, and uh, Oz, we're going to go to Oz, and we've got a, an update from Down Under from your good old buddy, Brett. Hey, Brett. Brett says, g'day, guys. Lots has been happening over here since I last emailed, uh, the biggest of which is winter. Well, a far-removed cousin of your winter anyways, here in Queensland, it's been cool at best. Our bees are going into winter, were, to say at the least, very hungry, like most of the bees here this last season. So I had to feed them heavily before it got too cool, and they suffered such a rough, dry summer with all the rain following, they had very little to forage on. It got so bad in autumn that we ended up losing four of our colonies to a combination of robbing and starvation. I guess that's what happens when nukes try to survive in a prolonged dearth and are trying to fill out boxes of foundation. Since the start of winter, we've had more nectar coming in in dribs and drabs than we had the entire spring and summer. The black wattles and the tea trees came first, and some of the wattles are still persisting. Lots of pollen comes in daily, and the bees are working every single day apart from when it is raining. Like I said, it's not much of a winter, but the bees are now starting to increase their brood production, which has consistently been three to four frames all quote-unquote winter. Um, and they are now wrapping up the ramping up the activities, and the levels are much more noticeable. The avocado harvest is well underway, and the majority of the crop has been picked and packed. Due to the drought and all of the other issues this year, we had a much lower yield than hoped. The trees are already coming back into bud, so in just about a month, the bees will be moving back into the orchard. We have one hive on location at the farm at the moment, but the rest are all currently at my home apiary. I am now working in the coal mines on an even roster, so I only get to go check the bees fortnightly, but it seems to be working out okay, and the money is definitely working out well. Um, It's definitely nice being home for seven days in a row, but going away is always tough. Having used the last of my honey I had stashed, I needed some more for the kitchen. I went out and checked one of the hives at the house and managed to find a frame that I could steal that had some capped honey. I cut out the honey and crushed it and strained it, and then after bottling and weighing it, it came out to two kilograms for us and a tiny little jar left over for the neighborhood kids as they walk past the hive every day and ask when they can get some of that yummy-smelling honey. Well, guys, I better head off and get some frames cleaned up and ready for the spring flurry that is definitely coming fast. I've also got another 500 frames to get made up, so that will keep me busy for a wee while. Hope to talk again soon from your long last brother from another mother down under, Brett. <laughs> oh, good to hear from him. Sound like he's uh, 
He's playing in the bees. He is definitely playing in the bees for sure. So we've got a couple of other little updates here from the United States as well from some of our listeners. So Jacob, who everybody has heard me talk about and heard us talk about several times on the show, Jacob's up north and Jacob has actually mentioned that, uh, you know, they were still having a flow there for a little while and his goldenrod is actually just starting to come into bloom. If we jump over to Stephen, Stephen's actually in Alabama and their goldenrod has been blooming now for about two weeks so down here in central Texas, our goldenrod is anywhere from a foot tall to about three foot tall um, in some areas, but none of it has started blooming yet. There's no visible buds on it, and we probably won't get our bloom until, well, in normal times, um, we won't really get our bloom until right at the end of September, beginning of October is when it fully goes into bloom. So I did think that was really kind of interesting just based on the regions. Goldenrod is spread fairly prolifically throughout the U.S., and you know, based on where you're at, there's a, a big difference in starting to bloom, already blooming, and might bloom in another month. And we don't have any in Lano County. Yeah, that's really weird. There's, uh, you were saying there's not any out that way. Now, where your daughter lives, which is over, you know, out of the Escarpment Pass and, and out of that area, uh, they do have goldenrod out there, but you don't have any. Mm-hmm. We have none. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of strange, but it's definitely one of our powerhouse. It is our main nectar producer for us in Central Texas in the fall, and that's where the bees get a lot of the the pollen for sure and a lot of the nectar. And it's always really unique for anybody who is going to be experiencing their first fall harvest, or not not even necessarily a fall harvest, their first fall flow, and you do have goldenrod. When the bees start going through and producing the honey and dehydrating that nectar down and working with the pollen, the hives start giving off a very distinct smell of dirty socks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It is it is very distinct, and that is a that's almost just verbatim what it smells like. Okay, so now the the dirty feet smell or the dirty sock smell is a perfect transition into something that I wanted to talk to you about. And I thought that this was going to be a a fair warning for everybody else out there. Um, Buteric acid. Have you ever heard of butyric acid? Nope. Okay. Buteric acid is a common occurrence in rancid and rotten butter. It's a common occurrence in... Parmesan cheese, and it is a well, not not so much as the flavor, but a little bit. Um, It does have a little bit of that rancid butter flavor to it, Mm -hmm. and it kind of gives it that that sour taste in the Parmesan. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also is most prevalent in vomit. Oh, okay. And butyric acid in its pure form, not you know tiny particles of it in other substances smells like butt acid vomit. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's the, I don't, it's bile. Well, that's not bile. It's going to be closed, but okay. Yeah, it is gross. It is absolutely disgusting. Okay. And the reason that I bring it up is because butyric acid is the primary, if not only, ingredient in Honey Robber. And um, it is one of the things you can buy on the beekeeping market that is supposed to go through and 
allow you to extract your honey from, well, it will take your honey from the hives and chase the bees out of the boxes. So when you use that thing called a fume board, you can put some of this substance on the fume board and you put it on the top of the honey boxes and the fumes from it chase the bees out of the box and then you can take the box off. What I normally use is honey be gone or be quick, right? And both of those are derived from bitter almond extract. And so it has a a sweet almond-esque kind of smell to it. Um, and then it, it's not it's not unpleasant. This other stuff, butyric acid, is extremely unpleasant. It is the nastiest, foulest crap I have ever experienced. <laughs> and it comes in a container that is then sealed inside of another container. And the top of that container has a giant pink label that says not for food in capital letters. You can smell it through both of those containers without ever opening it. Now, I did not buy this stuff. Mm -hmm. This was a gift from Pamela like a year and a half ago, Mm -hmm. if not longer. Um, She had gotten it to go through and use it to do a honey extraction and decided she didn't think it was effective and it reeks to high heaven. So she was like, maybe you guys can use it when you're doing forced abscond removals and use it in place of some of the other stuff to help chase the bees out of the cavity because it's supposed to make them run away. So I don't have, I ran out of the stuff that we normally use and it occurred to me, I still have this stuff stashed away. So I went and got it and we used it this weekend to go through and do a forced abscond out of a tree. And I was joking, and I even before I pulled it out, because I didn't know what it was, but I could smell the, the substance coming from it, and, and my mom even asked, she's like, what is that? And I was like, it's butt acid vomit. And she was like, what? And I was like, it smells like a combination of dirty butt and vomit. Like, it's a gross, it's a really weird thing. And then when I pulled it out and I saw that it was butyric acid, I started laughing because butyric has butt in it and it is acid and it does smell like vomit. So it's butt acid vomit. (laughs) But I went and we took this and then Jorge and I went out to do this removal and I was telling him, hey, go ahead and grab that spray bottle. Um, You know, this is what we're going to try to use and see if it works. And the first time he squirted it, I thought he was going to come down off that ladder. He was like, oh, my God, this stuff is just foul. (laughs) Well, I somehow got it on my hands <laughs> through my gloves. <laughs> it does not come off. You can't wash it off. It is not water soluble. It is fat soluble and it will not come off of my hands. I did figure out how. I will tell everybody how, but I did figure out how and it was very simple. But soap and water is not going to cut it. I even used some of the scent eliminator on it. And all the scent eliminator did. Now, I will tell you this. The scent eliminator was freaking amazing because I, I literally poured the tiny last little few drops I had onto my hands and rubbed, 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 rubbed it in. And it made it go away. You couldn't smell it. But what that scent eliminator does is it, it literally just covers and completely masks. Mm-hmm. So it didn't smell bad. It didn't have any odor at all. It was great. But since how it's just covering... The next time, like the longer I did stuff, the more it wore off of my hands. And then I could start to pick up that smell of that butyric acid again. And then afterwards, I washed my hands later and it was all gone. And then all of the smell of butyric acid was back. (laughs) And I used hand sanitizers like 
repeatedly before we even got in the truck to leave. I got hand wipes and was scrubbing them down. You know, I did all this other stuff and it, it just didn't work. So even last night in the midst of trying to go to bed, I can still smell this. And I'm like, I, this is horrible. So I started looking online and you can use sodium bicarbonate or basically baking soda. Yeah, baking soda. And baking soda, which is sodium bicarbonate, mm-hmm. When you mix sodium bicarbonate with butyric acid, you get sodium butyrate, which is a solid molecule that does not have an odor. And that chemical reaction is uh, is something that, you know, it's kind of harmless. So I was like, all right. So I went out into the kitchen, filled me up a container big enough to stick my hands in it with hot water and dumped a bunch of baking soda in there and stirred it up till it was dissolved and then shoved my hands in it and then constantly just massaged and rubbed my hands and scrubbed my hands down inside this mixture of sodium bicarbonate and water. And it's all gone. It literally like it made my hands itchy when it was all said and done because the sodium bicarbonate, I think, kind of started to dry them out. But um, the horrible, nasty smell is gone from my hands. However, uh, we did spill some in the back of the truck because the truck was directly underneath the tree. Mm. And so the truck smells horrid. Um, Jorge equated it to a combination of some nasty liquid that came seeping out of the bottom of a trash can mixed with vomit. (laughs) So this is the part that that just dumbfounds me, though. Why in the hell would anybody ever want to put that in their beehive on top of their honey super to chase the bees out of there? Because honey is hydroscopic and honey is going to absorb odors and smells and things and who wants vomit honey i mean i mean okay granted step back it is already vomit honey because it's bee vomit but bee vomit is very sweet and tasty and butyric acid is not (laughs) there you go so did it make did it make the bees abscond i don't i mean it did but I I cannot tell you that it did any better than the essential oils and the bitter almond extract stuff that we normally use. Um, in fact, I think that stuff worked better than this stuff did. Mm-hmm. And if you get that stuff on you, on your clothing or anything else, it smells way better than this stuff did. It's not worth it. I, I this is this is the the first time that I am ever going to do a product review and say avoid at all costs like the plague because it is not worth the foul stench that shall follow you around as it goes through nitrile gloves and through your bee suit and permanently stains your soul. There you go. Don't use it. Okay. Don't use butyric acid. It's gross. (laughs) Oh, man. So in other news, um, it's hot down here. It's hotter than hell down here. Yeah, it is very hot down here. Too, it is. It's hot up there too. That's true. In the United States at the moment, it is hot. The projected long-range forecast for us in Central Texas is welcome to hell. Um, we are in our our normal triple-digit season, where it is usually you know twenty to forty days straight of some triple-digit, um, and that's not counting heat index. That's like yesterday. The actual temperature was one hundred and six degrees, and then it was seventy-five percent humidity on top of that. So it sucked. Um, and we tried not to be out in the, the heat for too terribly long, luckily, which was a good thing, but there's a lot of different things that, um, can affect our bees in the heat. And there's a lot of other little critters out there too, 
that can go through and affect our bees. And so I, uh, I wanted to talk just real briefly about some of the natural predators of the honeybees that can be found in the peak of summer, um, in the heat of summer. That's when it kind of really starts right as that transition happens from summer to fall. Some of these guys really start ramping up and and getting kind of crazy. So one of them, and I had never actually heard of this before, and I've seen this in a couple of different places where they have technically kind of, I think, mix-matched some things together here. Um, bee wolves. A bee wolf is a type of wasp. I'm taking it as a type of wasp because I did find another article that talked about it as like it, it, it was they were using the term as wasps in general. Um, but the bee wolf is uh, it's like wolves in bees clothing. This one article says these wasps specifically hunt down and paralyze honeybees pull them down into an underground burrow, cover them in pollen, and then leave the egg there to hatch, emerge, and devour them. And that's how they raise their young, which is kind of common for a lot of wasps in general. The mud dauber specifically feasts on spiders. Mm -hmm. Um, Other wasps feast on, you know, small worms and aphids and things like that, and they bring them back to their nest, stuff them down inside the cell, and then that's what the larva feeds on as it grows. So the bee wolf is one thing that is something that is out there. Um, It is a little black and yellow wasp. It's not much bigger than the honeybee itself. But wasps in general this time of year can be a big nuisance. And for us in the United States, the biggest one is one of the smallest ones. It's actually the yellow jackets. And we have two different types of yellow jackets here. Both of them nest in colonies anywhere from like 300 to 3,000 at the peak size of them. Um, their queen is massive. She's the size of a hornet, but the actual workers are tiny. They're the size of a honeybee, a little bit skinnier, no fuzz to them whatsoever. And they are vivid black and yellow. And they live down and usually in a, in a colony that is in a cavity, much like a bee. So a lot of times they're mistaken for honeybees when they're not honeybees at all. But this time of year, they will start attacking bee colonies And you will find like the remnants of little battles where you'll see a couple of dead bees on your landing and then you'll see a couple of dead yellow jackets on your landing. And the yellow jackets are trying to sneak in there and either steal live bees, decapitate them and take them home or steal the the brood if they can get to it. And, you know, they will be a nuisance, but usually they will not decimate a colony. Um, They're just kind of a nuisance type thing to that. So other little insects that are also issues The assassin bugs, they kind of start in late spring and go all the way through summer. But the assassin bug and the assassin beetle um, kind of looks like a bigger version of a squash beetle in a way. Mm -hmm. And they have this trigger tongue that is like a spear that they will stab through their victim and hold on to them to kill them. And then they go through and suck them dry kind of thing. There are different types of flies. And the most notable species or subspecies of the fly is the robber fly. The robber flies are also very adept predators at catching honeybees, as well as dragonflies. 
Dragonflies are very adept predators, especially the huge mammajamas that look like the double-ended helicopter, like monster dragonflies. Um, they are very prolific late in the summer, in the heat of summer. Like right now, out of my front yard, there's probably five or six of them flying around. And they love honeybees. They will gobble up a honeybee in a heartbeat. But again, all of these little critters cannot do a lot of damage. You're looking at a colony that has 30 to 60,000 bees coming out of the peak of the nectar flow if it's a good, strong, healthy colony. And you've got these other things that are picking them off, but they're not going to eat 30,000 bees in a month. You know, they're, they might eat 1,000 maybe. Um, so it's not life or death, but it is just things to be aware of. And it's one of the reasons that your queen can have a really hard time if you try to raise a queen during the summer dearth that's one of the reasons it can be very, very challenging is because there's all these other things out there trying to catch honeybees and eat them so they can take them and feed them to their larvae or sustain themselves. And a queen is a much easier target. She's bigger. She's not as aerodynamic and does not fly as fast as the worker. So when she issues from the colony to go on a nuptial flight, she is a prime target. So that can be a challenge for people. Um, another thing that was listed, which I found really interesting, and I, I want to look into a little bit more to see what it is they actually do, but scarab beetles, the ones that are the real iridescent, like green and blue kind of colored shell to the beetle. Yeah. I have done numerous bee removals, and it's always been in a removal where I have pulled desiccated, propolized scarab beetles out of colonies where they had gotten in a colony and the bees killed them and then propolized them. And I find them stuck in the comb or stuck on like one of the sidewalls of the cavity. And I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if that beetle is sneaking in there and, and you know, feasting on the larva or what's actually going on there. But I did find that interesting that they were in the list because I was like, oh, I've seen them inside hives before, but they were always dead and they were always propolized. And I kind of just assumed, you know, they were looking for warmth and heat and wandered in and the bees uh, took care of them. So, but apparently not. Um, there's also a few species of birds, um, king birds, and then here in the United States, flycatchers. So there is predominantly the scissor tail flycatcher. And the honeybees are not their primary food source, but they will happily eat honeybees. And so you will find those every now and then. And then uh, frogs, toads, and lizards. I have tons of green anoles, and the bigger ones definitely like to hang out around the hive, and they will go through and munch on uh, bees when they can get a hold of them. Another thing in late spring, early summer are the giant orb weaver spiders or the banana spiders. They will, out at the farm, they cheat. They build their web literally right in front of the opening of the hive mm -hmm. so they can catch the bees coming out, and they get really big and fat. Um, but some frogs will also do that. They will, they will go sit in front of the hive, and they will feast um, as the bees come out. They'll catch them. And then obviously we have, you know, the as far as mammals go, skunks. And the easiest thing you can do for a skunk is to make sure that your hive is at least a bare minimum of a foot off the ground, if not 18 inches or higher. And that makes it either to where the skunk has to stand up, which exposes its soft underbelly and the, the thinner fur, and the bees can defend themselves, or it makes it high enough that the skunk can't stand up and reach it at all, and then it kind of invalidates the entire process. So those are some of the little critters to watch out for during the, the heat of the summer. 
Um, and I know you said you had a question about the summer heat. Right. You know, I was wondering about, you know, my brother, well, I've got that swarm now, but he, he put a, he put a big swarm in a eight frame deep and brood box and they, he fed them, fed them, fed them just huge amounts. And I mean, they went crazy and they got big and now he's got two deeps on them. And uh, anyway, he was wanting to they're back here behind my man shed and by another shed, and there's not getting a lot of wind in there. They're going to get too hot. Do I need a a vented inner cover? And I'm sitting there. I've got some. I'll bring you one. I don't know. I said they, you know, if they get over 119 degrees, it'll kill them. But uh, it ain't going to get that hot here. And I took him one and. Oh, I think people worry about the heat too much now i i did too when i first started now i i think that if you have a good east as a as the morning sun comes up you have a good east sunlight hitting that hive and warming that bunch of bees up so they'll get out and work and don't want the shade on them in the morning, but as the evening, as the sun sets, you want that to be shaded because let let the the hive start cooling off for the nighttime. Am I right? Well, especially if it is a top bar hive, you want the top bar hive to get sun earlier in the day, and then by midday, by like four o'clock at the latest, you want it to start getting westerly shade, mm-hmm. and you want it to be in shade for the rest of the day because especially down here for us in our extreme heat, if you don't have a proper covering over the top of it or if it gets too hot, it can actually start to separate the connection of the comb from the wood and with that heavy weight of the honey in there can cause comb to rip and fall. That's also why you never do a hive inspection in the summertime on a top bar anytime after like 10 a.m. You always want to do them as early as possible, first thing in the morning, while the comb is as quote-unquote cool as it's going to get, which still may be 90-some-odd degrees, um, to go through and check that. But you got to be very careful because this is a very precarious time of year for comb that is free-standing and free-hanging when it's super hot out there. But for the bees themselves, they have many mechanisms to go through and counter doing really, really hot, you know, summer temperatures. One of those is they shift over and they do start going out and gathering a lot of water and they'll focus more of their foraging on water instead of on nectar and pollen, especially here because there's not as much available. Um, So they'll go get the water. They'll bring it in. They disperse those droplets around the hive. They'll beard. They kick out the majority of the bees that don't have anything to do at the moment and they'll come out front and hang and beard to kind of keep themselves cool. And that beard will expand and contract when it's really hot even though they're hanging on to each other, they will they will spread out and increase the space and the holes between each of them so that air can flow through there better and cool them down. And when they get cold, they condense up to minimize the space between their bodies so that they can stay warm. So the beard will come out and then the other bees go in there. They distribute those droplets of water. They fan them and you've got bees at the entrance. And if you do have a top entrance or a top vent, you'll have bees up there as well. And they will circulate and bring in fresh air down from the bottom, push it up and out and push the hot stale air out the top. And then they fan those droplets to create like a swamp cooler effect to cool off the inside of the hive and make it more uh, accommodating to them, make it more comfortable 
So that's one of the processes that they do. Now, if you have a hive that does not have a top entrance, you should probably look at getting a top entrance or giving them some sort of top entrance, especially in the heat of summer. But it needs to be, in my opinion, a true entrance. It needs to be, you know, like a little one inch opening like that is built into inner covers that are made for that so that the bees can still guard it. You, you know, you'll see some beekeepers that'll say, oh, you can just wedge a stick underneath your lid. But what that does is that opens up the entire width of the front of the hive that now has to be guarded. And so wasps and hive beetles and ants and these other predators now have another avenue to try to get into the colony and can attack the colony from that way. So being smart about it and providing an entrance that can be guarded, but still an upper entrance or an upper vent that has a screen over it so that nothing can get in and out, but they can still vent the air out of it is not a bad idea in the heat of summer because it does help them regulate those temperatures a little bit better. Okay. Now on, on that, at that note, uh, if you have a vented cover, you need to see in the wintertime, you pull that cover up closer, your, your, your top close to that to shut it down. So the cold air doesn't get in. Yeah. In the, the way that I do it is in the summertime, the opening or the hole faces down mm -hmm. so that the closest thing, it's the closest to the bees themselves. And I leave it that way. Mm -hmm. And then in the winter, I flip it with the hole facing up so that it's actually only venting out the attic. It's not actually venting directly where the, the comb and the bees are. And then if you want to close it for any reason, you push your lid, your telescoping lid, all the way back against it. Whereas if you want it to be open, you push your lid as far away from it as you can get, which only gives you maybe half an inch at the most, maybe not even that um, of a gap up there. But that's one of the ways that you can kind of control that and use it. Now, if you're using a feeder, you want that upper entrance, if it exists, you want to have your, your top box with your frames. Mm -hmm. Then you want that inner cover on top of that top box mm -hmm. with that opening facing down towards the frames. And then you put your feeder on top of that. Because if you have it the other way around, you're either going to have the hole facing up, which means, again, robbers and other predators can walk in that hole and go straight to the feeder without having to encounter the colony. And if you put the feeder first and then the inner cover on top of that, you've now created an opening that goes directly to the food that can't be guarded or, or you know, in, and can cause robbing and other issues with that. So definitely be careful depending on what you're doing and how your configuration is. But that inner cover with the top opening for a vent or an entrance is definitely something that can be helpful this time of year during the heat. Yep. And then it, uh, now on your, like your rapid round feeders, they have a lid that goes on top of that. So if you do mess up and you have it up and they can get into that box where your cover, your covered feeder is, it's not as bad. Yeah, it's not as bad. If you, if that would have been the case, if you do like the top box, then the feeder, then the inner cover, mm -hmm. and they can get into the, just that box that's covering that, yeah. yeah, then it's not as big of a deal. But in that situation, though, you really don't necessarily want those feeders unless it's a, a square box feeder. You don't want them setting on top of the frames. You want them setting on top of the inner cover with that opening in it. So the inner cover still needs to go below it with the entrance facing down towards the bees. 
Um, so one other little segue here when we were talking about updates from around the, the world and different places here in the U.S., David in Mississippi did give an update about the better comb that we had talked about, and he did use some. Um, he's used it both in the brood nest and in his honey supers. And the uh, the better comb, just to remind everybody, is the comb that is the artificial wax that is already drawn out like full frames of comb would be. And you install this fully drawn wax comb into your frames and then kind of pin it in place or run the wires and melt the wires down into it. And he had done this on uh, several of his frames and a couple of different boxes. And he did say that he was using a hand crank extractor, but the they did hold up to the extraction process, at least with what he was doing. Now, he doesn't know if how well they're going to hold up to like a fully automatic motorized extractor, um, if they would hold up too well to that. But his did hold up through that. And so far... He is very pleased with the better comb, so he did give us those uh, kudos to pass along to everybody out there and let them know that he did get them. The bees took to them. They didn't seem to have a problem. They used them both for brood in the brood boxes and for honey stores in the top, and uh, you know he was able to go through and extract from it, and everything seems to be fine. So there's that info for anybody out there who is interested in the better comb to, to check out if they would like to do so. Um, hopefully Rachel's shows up before spring down there in uh, Oz and she can go through and uh, see how that works for her as well. Um, that's uh, that's mainly it for uh, for our main segment anyway. You have any parting thoughts and goodbyes you would like to get out there real quick? It's hot. It's just hot. It's hot. And in that suit, it's hot. I think we somebody that's listening to us needs to come up with a suit much like a astronaut wears, where they're they're heated and cooled, and they're cooled. I don't really care if they're heated, but cooled in the summertime. <laughs> There's a gentleman um, who I know that bought a cooling vest which basically has these little mini gel ice cube looking packs, like hundreds of them, and they Velcro on the inside of this vest, and you put the vest on with those gel pads like against the core of your body, your torso, and then he would put his suit on over the top of that, and that's how he would go out and check bees in the summertime. Um, I don't know how long it lasts, like how long the, the cooling lasts from it, but um, yeah, that's what he would do. He would wear a cooling vest underneath his bee suit, <laughs> Uh, and that would keep him cool when he would go out and do his, his bee work in the heat of summer. <laughs> I know I'm sitting out there. I, I'll go and work, uh, till about 10, by 10 o'clock, 10 30 is too hot. So I, I quit and my, I'm sitting there the other day. I walked in, my wife says, what stinking? I said, I guess my bee suit. She says, I'm washing it. And she picked it up. I just took it off. She says, there's water coming out of it. I says, yeah, I've been sweating. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But it's been yeah, they, hot in Texas. That's all I'll say. Yeah, they, they get pretty soggy pretty quick. I uh, Yesterday when we were out doing stuff, I took off my suit, and it literally, I looked like I had been dunked in a horse trough tank or something. Like I was, my clothes were sopping wet and just clinging to me. The suit I could wring water out of, like it was, it was pretty gross. Um, but the grossest of all was the butyric acid, man. That shit is nasty. <laughs> butt vomit. Yep, yeah, that's it. Okay. Butt vomit. <laughs> butt acid vomit. Gross, nasty stuff. <laughs> oh, man. 
All right, everybody. Well, hope you all enjoyed today's episode and got some little kernels of information in there and definitely got a few laughs. And uh, kia ora to New Zealand. Thank you very much for reaching out to us and giving us a shout out and letting us know that uh, the Kiwis are still down there in force and still listening. We appreciate that. Thank you, Brett, for your feedback from Australia. And we have gotten uh, quite a few little listener questions and stuff in here recently. So I think actually next week, we may end up doing another listener question episode. Um, hopefully everybody has gotten their questions back from me uh, as far as responses and everything. But we'll go through, pull some of those up and uh, do some more of those on the air possibly. So if you are listening this week and you have a question you would like to get on the air, please feel free to send us that with the subject line listener questions so we know to flag it for the air. And you can send it to us via email to info at thehivejive.com. Or you can message us on social media either through Facebook, Instagram, both of those are at the Hive Jive, or through Patreon. You can, if you're a Patreon member, you can go through and send us a message through Patreon. And again, just put the subject in there as a listener question, and we'll go through and try to get those on next week's episode for everybody. And then we've got some fun interviews coming up on the way as well. So looking forward to those. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, experimentation on different things, and we're even going to possibly have a live slash recorded honey tasting perhaps so we shall look forward to those things but everybody out there hope you're having a uh hope you had a great week and have a or well weekend i guess you know the whole recording and playing later thing it's kind of inter- entertaining so hope you had a great weekend hope you have a wonderful week to come and we will talk with everybody next week so until then everybody be good family y'all be healthy be good stay cool Just do whatever you got to do to make sure you don't get dehydrated. That's true, too. Very good. Stay hydrated. Be hydrated. (laughs) Be hydrated. Be good, family. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.